All right, everybody, I'm Logan Alec. I'm a CPA, and this is my update for Friday, February 19th. Let's get right into the stimulus. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said today that the Senate is on track to send a robust $1.9 trillion package to the president's desk before the March 14th expiration of unemployment insurance benefits. We will meet this deadline. Of course, they will need to receive that bill from the House first. As I said yesterday, there are still some last-minute negotiations, whether the $15 minimum wage will survive, how will they bring the price tag back down to that $1.9 trillion target. But at this point, Chuck Schumer is focused and optimistic that that bill will pass Congress before March 14th. The relief bill is currently 591 pages long. It's a lot of work, but we should see a vote on the floor of the House sometime next week or possibly next weekend on the minimum wage issue. Politico reported last night on a conversation between President Biden and a group of mayors and governors during which he told them that he doesn't expect the $15 minimum wage to survive the reconciliation process and make it into the upcoming relief bill. Biden reportedly said, I really want this in there, but it just doesn't look like we can do it because of reconciliation, I'm not going to give up, but right now we have to prepare for this not making it. So that's not exactly a definitive statement, but this isn't the first time Biden has thrown some cold water on this idea. And Politico also reported that he did not push back when Larry Hogan, the Republican governor of Maryland, said that the minimum wage isn't directly related to pandemic relief. So even though Biden supports the $15 minimum wage, it seems at this point like he's gearing up to fight that battle sometime in the future rather than trying to get it passed right now at the reconciliation. And as I said before, when this issue comes up, uh, Democrats will need 60 votes in the Senate to pass a minimum wage increase outside of reconciliation. And it's highly unlikely that 10 Republican senators will come around to increasing the minimum wage to 15 per hour. Actually, more than that, right? When you figure Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, or Kirsten Sinema don't, don't, aren't really keen on that idea. Of course, anything could happen, but I wouldn't be surprised if the $15 minimum wage becomes something more modest maybe $11, $12. That way they can get the support to pass it with 60 votes like any other piece of legislation. Janet Yellen, Treasury Secretary, also appeared on CNBC yesterday to discuss the stimulus. She defended Biden's $1.9 trillion plan against some calls for a smaller bill, and she hinted at the upcoming infrastructure bill that I mentioned yesterday, which will likely become one of Biden's top priorities shortly after the stimulus bill passes. Yellen said, we are digging out of a deep hole, and that last year was the worst year for economic growth since World War II. She also echoed some of Biden's rhetoric when she claimed that the cost of doing too little is much higher than the price of doing something big. There's still no concrete plan or price tag on that infrastructure bill. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki neither confirmed nor denied the rumored $3 trillion ballpark price tag that has been floating around about it. That's all for Congress and Stimulus Today. I did want to mention that Bloomberg published an interesting article on Wednesday. Brian Chapetta looked at the housing boom during the pandemic and found that it was mostly dominated by Americans with extremely strong credit scores of 760 or higher. You can see the graph here. Mortgages stayed pretty constant for every other group. Maybe some small growth for the 660 through 719 and 720 through 759 groups. But obviously the top group exploded and they've been responsible for most of the home purchases over the past year or so. Some people have talked about a uh, you know a V-shaped recovery or a you know a uh, a U-shaped recovery, either a quick return or a gradual improvement. But this might make it look more like a K-shaped recovery. You know, where some people at the top are doing great, even as everybody else is struggling. There was also a new study published yesterday in The Lancet examining the effects of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine after a single dose. Like the AstraZeneca and the Moderna vaccines, the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine is recommended for two doses 
That's the only way we currently administer them in the U.S. But the study's authors found the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, at least, is around 85% effective after a single dose, compared to roughly 95% for people after they've taken the second dose. Now, Dr. Fauci and other experts and advisors said that this study won't change our recommendations in the U.S. Advisor Andy Slavitt said we want the public not to be confused. The recommendation from the FDA is two doses, just as it always has been. I'm not a doctor, right? I'm not a medical professional here. Uh, but if you imagine that we could either give half the population 95% resistance or we could give the entire population 85% resistance, then you might see how this data could lead to a dispute over whether it makes sense to focus on getting everyone two doses rather than giving you know each person an initial dose that will substantially decrease their risk in and of itself. The UK actually allows gaps of up to 12 weeks between doses of the Pfizer vaccine compared to just three weeks in the US. So some countries are already taking a different approach to the timing of the dosages. Again, I'm not trying to say that the FDA recommendation is wrong or something like that. I'm definitely not an expert here on medicines and viruses and vaccines. Um, I'm sure some of you in the comments know more about this stuff than I do. But it's interesting that we now have a few studies on different vaccines that indicate a pretty significant effect after just one dose. Obviously not as effective as you, as you get from both doses, but 85% is obviously enough to make a difference. Pfizer and BioNTech also released a joint statement early this morning saying that their vaccine is stable when stored at temperatures of up to negative three to five degrees Fahrenheit, which makes, which makes storage much more practical compared to the current temperature range of negative 112 to negative 76 degrees Fahrenheit. They haven't actually been authorized uh, for that warmer temperature range yet. The FDA will still need to review the data and make a recommendation, but that's another good sign when it comes to vaccine distribution. All right, everybody, that is all I have for you today. We're ramping up to the House floor vote on stimulus next week. And at this point, there's less than four weeks until that March 14th deadline uh, I mentioned at the top of the video. So there will be a big push to push that legislation through both houses and get it on to Biden's desk before that point. As always, thank you so much for watching to the end. I really do appreciate it. And I will see you next time. Have a great Friday evening, everybody. Bye-bye.